Do you want me to kill the video? Kill the boy, become the man. Kill the video. Let's dance. All right, my friend. I've got some topics. Oh, man. Okay, because I have some things I want to discuss. Cool. But I probably don't have the thoughts fully formulated, and I think it'll just piss people off. No, that's the best way. That's Catching Fox's way. Okay, so we're all very sad about the like Notre Dame stuff, obviously, right? I'm oh, sorry. Um, Notre Dame. Yes, we are the great landmark of Catholicism. Yes. Yeah, it's horrible. Horrible. Can we all just agree that while something is happening, let's not do any hot takes. Let's wait a couple days. Let's just wait. Uh, the answer Can is we just no. wait? <laughs> the answer it, is no, we can't. Unless you're on a social media fast because you just started Exodus 90. Did you just start Exodus 90? I sure did, man. Oh, enjoy that sweet, sweet, muscular Chris Christianity. Dude, I Let me ask you this. love it. Yeah, of course you do, because it's the first few days of of, of you doing it. No, yeah, I, I think topic. it's great. I'm also, for Lent, I gave up social media because it for our recenter thing at ap.church slash recenter, um, the Holy Week was give up social media as like the fast of the church and pick up um, going to an extra liturgy. And so, so we're encouraging our faithful at our church to attend an extra liturgy that they otherwise wouldn't have. And... Uh, and but to give up social media and it's funny because Stephen Lanahan who directs our communications he was like you had to tell everyone to give up social media on the week of holy week when like the only contact we have with our people other than mass is social media so uh, it's kind of funny but um yeah so i've been <laughs> so like Steve's right no- to be angry yeah no kidding um so while the Notre Dame thing happened i was getting text messages from fan of the show Scott Thompson who was like hey man like, do you know this is happening? And then from there, I started blasting it to everyone else. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I was not on social media. So what was what was the hot takes that was other than the one that you screenshotted where you told the guy to f off? What? Uh, yeah, f that guy and just oh. ugh, ugh, I write. Hmm? Will you read read that tweet? No, because it's because people are gonna know that it's him, mm. and I like don't want to give him the platform. I'm okay, that petty. Deal. I'm it was, that well, it petty. was. It's not that you're that petty. It's also that his comment was like just basically, like I didn't even understand the fake outrage behind that comment. He's been a douchebag since college that just wants attention. And the award for best Christian goes to Luke Carey. Yeah, that's one hundred percent true. And that's what it is. It's the same thing it's been for the past 20 years. And that's why I like, okay. I love you. So what are other hot takes <laughs> that you've seen that you're, that's sticking the, me off about? The biggest one was just like, this is the side of the church collapsing in modernity or something. And I'm like, you know, yeah, you're right. This is, this is a huge metaphor for the church. You, you know what it also is? A building that's burning right now. An important 800 year building that that has 13 a million people a year who go to see it that's burning in front of our eyes it's more than your precious metaphor and but i know it's that, not I, less than our metaphor <laughs> <laughs> like like it's not that these people were wrong yeah. and it's not that I, I even really disagree with a lot of things that i saw though that one was just so freaking douchey yeah that was horrible um, Oh, I'm just like, you are not that important, man. So Luke Luke had taken a screenshot of someone's tweet 
and just sent it out to I think it was me and Matt Frad maybe. And no, it was, it was no, uh, you and our yeah, it was you and yeah. our friend, our other friend, and our other friend who shall remain nameless. And we just and you were just like, screw this guy, man, screw this guy. And I I must Except have read I his, didn't use the word screw. I know I'm trying to clean it up. Remember, Luke? Remember? <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but I read that like five times, and I'm like, what is the point of this? What is the point? But you answered it. He just wants attention in the in the most horrific of ways. So and that's what, my thing with yeah. like I feel like most people. They want to say, and it, like, I, it's it's not even it's not even uh, it's not even a bad thing to want to say something about it, to want to share your thoughts while something horrible is happening, and we're all kind of witnessing this together. And Twitter is one of the ways that we communicate with with each other while we are win, or and it's also how we witness it, you know. So the like medium is the metaphor, and it you know is the message. Yeah, but. It's just like it hadn't like the spire hadn't collapsed yet and people were already like giving their hot takes on what this means for Western civilization. And I'm like, it's can we just like can it just be a beautiful place where that's having a horrible thing happen? Can it just be that like like let's let's wait, let's just let's take a twenty four hour let's just have a rule, let's let's have it put it in like <laughs> Look, the book no, of etiquette. No, none <laughs> of this to is gonna twenty four hours. None of this is gonna happen because Twitter exists. It exists as an emotional release. Hey, look at me. I have something to say. No, you don't. None of us do. We're all a bunch of morons. So can I tell you, this is literally, I did this the other day, and I was laughing at myself for probably a good five minutes, and I said, I'm saving it for the show. I can't wait to tell Luke. So I can't go on social media, right? So I opened up a Word document, (laughs) and I typed in the tweet in the Word document. Then I typed a follow-up tweet. I imagine hitting the plus sign and putting a follow-up tweet. And then I went through and pulled up a bunch of scripture verses of something that I was thinking about. And I wrote an entire page worth. And I was like, why? Why am I doing this? Am I saving this at the end of this whole this holy week or at the end of Exodus 90 when I'm going to post it? And then I was like, this is, this is really stupid of me. And... I deleted it, and I was laughing the whole time, being like, I have to do a hot take, but in a slow format on <laughs> a Word document. God, how do you know what that's it? called? That's Go. called having a journal, and that's not a bad thing. No, To it's get not. out your thoughts, to put them in, in writing, but it's meant to be like just like a private reflection, and I think there's some beauty in that. Yeah. No, the, the, I've shared with before like what, what the internet has done to especially uh, American women like American women kind of culturally had this idea of having a diary. And at the end of the day, a woman writes, a little girl writes down her thoughts. And they, this one woman was explaining like the cultural importance of that. Like here you are a young girl processing your emotions, the things that went on, you're chronicling it. You're doing all of this stuff you, and it's private. You know, you got a little lock and then, Oh, brother stole the lock. And Not if you're my, my sister. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so all she wrote was, I have a crush on this one guy. I have a crush on this guy. I have a crush on that guy. Well, you know, there are varying levels of depth. But the idea was, <laughs> the, the woman's point was, in the end, it was a, a thing of reflection. Now all we do is document the moment. And it's funny because it takes us out of the moment while we're experiencing it to have to put a picture on there. But then it does a double effect where then we don't have that follow-up reflection later. And so you have these two sides of debilitation. Like it takes you out of the moment while you're trying to capture the moment. 
and it doesn't let you reflect on the moment. And I thought, wow, that is that is really insightful. And so my idea of a journal, I have a work journal, like a ministry journal, where I plan my month so I can see everything that's going on. And then I write like little chunks of things that I need to know and do and think. And then I'll write little reflections because I can never, can you journal? I, I, I can't journal. I try. I, I can't, fail after yeah. the first, first I'm not week. very good at being consistent about it but i right. I, I have found it to be very enjoyable and it yeah I'm to just help way. me just process what I, we're both the bottom line is we're both 12 year old girls um <laughs> <laughs> i have a crush uh, on luke <laughs> <laughs> i should probably wear some sort of uh support um <laughs> Oh, man. I'm drinking throat coat tea to help me with this devastated voice. There you go. Uh, the voice that just won't quit. Yeah. Hey, um, you know, they still haven't figured out the fire, what caused the fire in Notre Dame. But Quasimodo has a hunch. Oh, gosh. That's boo earns to you, my friend. No, boo that earns. was uh, listener to the show. Thomas O'Leary just sent that to us. They still don't know the cause of the fire, but Quasimodo has a hunch. That is funny. No. Do you know what is crazy is, and I, and I don't want to go down this road of like it was the Muslims, but um, and, and in fact, a, a, like a lot of these things that have that have happened have not been caused by people of of the Islamic faith, but there's been like hundreds of attacks on church in France. Oh yeah, like hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and it's it's like I mean it was like something like eight hundred plus or so in the past. Uh, couple years or something it's really horrific and and um you know and like here's the thing it is a metaphor for like the collapse of the west you could totally say that it's that like i mean we've plenty of times we've said the church is burning i think here verbatim we've said the church (laughs) is burning oh my gosh it's burning everything's horrible and to see that played out in real um, life is quite disturbing the problem is i think is that in the moment it's that's what's happening. Like, that's what it feels like to you. Yeah. And to say that it's this to everyone is not, it's, it just feels like virtue signaling. Oh, no, it and, totally is. That's all, that's all we've become, man. And, and like, listen, we're guilty of this. Like, we're guilty of oh, yeah. this as well. Yeah, but we have a podcast, so we do it weekly. <laughs> Woo. Well, but I think also the time has come for us to start, like, I mean, I truly do I mean this, like, to we need to buy that we, we should all should buy the, the, one of those um rules of rules of etiquette books and just start to think like how long i mean besides saying oh my gosh this is horrible i'm heartbroken this is you know um like we should have a rule that no hot takes for 24 hours or so yeah because it's just like just right or just i don't know but it's sad, man. It's so like I had such a wonderful, wonderful church. Like, yeah, it was. I mean, it you was went painful. there, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you? No. Oh man. Oh dude, you missed out. It's wonderful. It's. I mean, it's still there, and it's it's incredible. What I mean, it's incredible how like, man. I I I always hate when people call the Dark Ages the Dark Ages because it's like such a slam on Catholicism. And you could argue this is more of a medieval church than a church of the Dark Ages, but yeah, um, the engineering from back then to like when they because they knew those fires would happen to build the church in a way to like help uh, um, those help on the fires like that cause like minimum amount of damage. It's insane, and yeah. 
it, it was um it was actually a really i mean i had a hard time working once i saw that i was i was trying because you know i have a job now that doesn't require me to just pay attention to every catholic thing that's going on which is really tough um but i'm like how i can't justify being on twitter now that sucks um yeah it so that cathedral to me when i first really fell in love with it was when i was in high school studying the french language and a big part of that was we studied french culture and going to like a public school being a somewhat practicing uh catholic who had a faith that was you know who grew up in a house where the faith was very much alive um i kind of clung to a lot of the catholic stuff that we would you know talk about in there and that we studied it in, like all in French, obviously. Mm-hmm. And like that was one of those things that I clung to. And it was a church that I couldn't wait to go to when I finally went to Paris back in 2003. And going there was a very profound experience. I mean, to be honest, I built it up so much in my head that when I first went, my first reaction was, oh, so it's only this big? <laughs> like I thought it was going to be this massive, huge, yeah. gigantic thing that just – and. I was somewhat underwhelmed by it, which sounds right. odd, but it's because it was built up in my mind so much. And then the more you think it's almost going to be like St. Peter's Basilica, which is just monstrous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, it just, it's relatively small, you know, and um, at least compared to what I had in my head. And then the more I was there, it was almost like an onion and all the later started to peel off and peel off. And I was able to like, and just had some some great profound moments of prayer there, and it was a period of real conversion because again, I was finally able to see this place with my own eyes that I had just studied so much, and really have a. I mean, I have a soft place in my heart for that cathedral. I mean, I was um, so um, the Mama Carrie is going out to is going out to Auntie's house out in France in June, I believe, and I was one of the things I'm so excited for her uh for my mom was to see that cathedral mm. and i was like heartbroken that there was a chance she wasn't going to that it was going to burn to the ground you know and it like it like pained me and just seeing that and you know th- um those things out in europe are part of our heritage yeah and i experienced that in a real way when i was in europe and you know, and, and they, these were like prayerful, profound moments in my life that like it, you know, ate me up inside to see that. It, I mean, it was painful. It was like, I don't know how, I don't know. How, I've never experienced anything quite like this. It's different from like 9-11 thing because that was, um, it was a bit unlike that, but that was, you know, so tragic on this whole other level. It was just like. It felt like such a loss, like just such, such to see like such a horrible yeah. loss. Yeah. I mean, so. they're talking about one commentary was saying that essentially Notre Dame is like another 9-11 in a crazy way because it's the first time we'd actually seen something so iconic be destroyed in front of our eyes. But at the same time, it wasn't because at least as far as we know, um, you know, it wasn't an act of terrorism or something. It could have been a mistake they were renovating and gutting some of the stuff and, in and the I mean, attic like, you've got to think of how much like wood is in i mean th- th- they're saying yeah. there's like wood from the 12th from the 12th century in there yeah and the interesting thing you is know? the wood is the roof not the ceiling so the vaulted ceiling is stone 
And then above that is the attic, and above that is the huge wooden, um, the wooden top that we saw. I don't know if you saw that image of. I'm sure you did because you're on social media. I only saw four images of it, and of course, the last one I saw is of the cross. You know, still standing Powerful. within. It was beautiful, and the Pieta image underneath. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but the the roof, man, that inferno. I I do think if <laughs> I do think it's ironic that it's the top that burns. The rest is, quote unquote, okay. You know, like if you're hunting for metaphors, that's a pretty big one. <laughs> McCarrick. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, but you know it, and it's um, and in this weird poetic way, it was kind of good for the world to mourn an important Catholic. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. It's it was weird and in, in an odd way it was beautiful for the world to come together to mourn this beautiful. I mean, it's a big piece of Catholicism. I mean, you know, uh, tradition holds that the crown of thorns is there and they're able to get that. They got that out. Yeah. You know, and like, like who knows if it's real or not, but it's still important. Yeah. Symbolic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's all about like God being real and being a real part of this earth. And there was a, there was a real crown of thorns. You know, and uh, uh, but uh, I hope they rebuild it well. I hope it, it you know, it's, it's very, it's going to be very interesting because it's owned by the French. And I do, I remember hearing this when I was there. It's owned by the French government. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. France has had a hell of a year, man. They won the World Cup. They've had a whole bunch of riots. Yeah. They had a horrible shooting a couple of, of years ago. They've had, I mean, just they've had bombings. Good gosh, pray for France. Held, held a couple years. Ooh, you are right. Hey, Luke Carey, how's it going, man? Hi, Michael Gormley. I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, I like to greet you in the middle of a show that we're doing because you know what time it is, Luke. It's time to get paid. It's time to get paid. Do 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 do. <laughs> and who's paying the bills? Cue the Vuvuzelas. It's time for a CatholicMatch.com ad. Wow, it sounds like bit. the incessant buzzing of bees. This is wonderful. <laughs> I enjoy soccer. The bees are ever- Oh, man, I love soccer so much. Okay, so hey, our good friends. Look, Catholic I have Ma- a wonderful thing. Yes. I have a wonderful thing. Yes. I need everyone to go to CatholicMatch.com slash institute slash authors. Oh, I'm going to do that and- right now. No computer. Yeah. You'll see our beautiful friend in the third row, Arlene Spensley. Arlene Spensley. She's awesome. Arlene Spensley. But then as you scroll down, you see just interesting pictures that people have chosen to take. Uh, (laughs) There's no real standard. Poor Lisa Duffy's photo has been squashed. Uh, Underneath Lisa and to the left, uh, Mike Coberlin. I'm sure that looks like his mugshot. You can tell uh, people enjoy doing ads with us. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget Staff Ryder. Oh, man, that is the whitest person I've ever seen. Hey, Staff Ryder, get shapes much? The cool part about the Catholic Match Institute is when you create a profile on CatholicMatch.com, you can also go and check out the Catholic Match Institute, where they've got resources, great blog articles from people like first queen of the podcast, Arlene Spensley. Um, and on tons of topics like culture and current event, dating and relationships, divorce and annulments, watch out for that, 
marriage and weddings, news from Catholic Match, and even online dating tips and some stuff about prayer and spirituality with lots of stuff. Yeah, so these are great. These are great resources. I just want to say, people, like... They're great topics, Okay, we talk a lot. We have a lot of people who are struggling in their singleness. A lot of of women, especially, who are like, where are the good men? And I'm not going to lie to you and say, well, just start a Catholic Match profile and magically you'll find them. But what I will say is this Catholic Match Institute, kind of the purpose behind it is to build not just online dating tips, but what does it mean to be single and married? Like, how do you live it successfully? How do you push back again? They have this thing called uh, the resources tab, and they have one that's called a Catholic Singles Guide to Sex. And it's I love this line. It says, an ebook for single Catholics. Do you ever get disheartened when everyone around you acts as if sex is no big deal? But also insists, basically insists that if you're not having it, there's something very wrong with you. And it's this whole idea of, like, helping people along. So, Catholic Match is more than just an online singles place for Catholics who value their faith. It is also a place to help you walk in both your dating relationships, your engagement, you know, all that stuff. It's not just about being single and getting rid of being single. Maybe the Lord has called you to walk in that. So they even have a Catholic's guide to being single. They have purposeful dating, stuff that's there that is good for your soul. And the thing that I really um, like about this too is we is we can't is we can't forget our friends who um one way or any other have found themselves in a spot where they need to get an annulment or have to start to date af- like after an annulment. They Absolutely. even have resources on there as well. I uh, they have a real good thing called the top ten annulment myths on there, which which I think is really cool because that's you know that's the thing. Yeah. yeah so head on over to catholicmatch.com slash institute. If you want to see a bunch of those resources, they really do have, all joking aside, they really do have a lot of good stuff. Yeah, it's great. And they are dedicated to bringing people together, but also to helping you walk through your vocation. So stop being a wuss. Take hold of your vocation right now and take a chance. pursue it at catholicmatch.com. Take a chance, take a chance, take a chance. Take, take a, a chance, chance on me. love. We'd like to thank Catholic Ooh. Match for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. And we're still wondering why. Luke, I had to give four talks today at a freshman men's school retreat. Oh, and a Marinus school at that. On manhood. <laughs> I filled in for a friend, Matt Fred, who, like, you know, almost died, and he couldn't do the Wait, talk. What happened? Remember when we were there recording in yeah, Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. And he was gray. <laughs> oh, he yeah, talked about he... having to get blood transfusions and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, he was supposed to go out to this school and give the talk, and he couldn't, and then they rearranged it, but they're only rearranging dates where when he was already, he couldn't do it mm. then either. Okay. So they tossed it to me. My uh, <laughs> shout-out to Mary-Kate and her husband. They're listeners to the show. Hi, uh, Mary-Kate Kate and her husband. Uh, Mary-Kate is my wife's cousin, and she's oh, a teacher nice. at this school, and she recommended me, and they called me, and we were able to work it out. Now, Matt Fred had, do- had done two of his talks before uh he does one on pornography and one on i think masculinity or something like that and they're two one-hour talks and matt was like these people just sleep the whole time it's so frustrating he's like last time i just started yelling at them being like hit your neighbor next to you if he's sleeping and it was funny because they were they were telling me like you know these are high school boys and it's a required retreat it's not a Sumville conference so like yeah we wish that they were all paying attention but it's just like theology class some people check out 
Now, I do a lot of, like, confirmation retreats, or I, I did in the past, a lot of confirmation retreats where I have to do this stuff. And so my thought was, um, like, yeah, I'm, I'm used to trying to win people over. So I had all these carefully laid talks, and then I, as soon as I saw their apathetic faces, I was like, whoop. We're changing it up, Gormley. <laughs> we are not doing this exact thing. I, I kept the, like, the general outline, but... Whoo, Guess who's going to juggle? <laughs> yeah, and juggle I did. But it was interesting. So I someone handed me a copy. So I was at Belmont Abbey a few weeks ago. Um, literally, actually, right after our Thursday night thing, I flew out to Belmont Abbey on, in Charlotte on the other side of the country, and I did this thing, and I had a men's session, and I haven't done a men's session in about two years. And I've been reading all these books on, like, childhood parent relationship. And I just kind of unloaded on it. And here was the craziest thing. So I had, like, uh, 100, 150 men in this room, uh, you know, high school boys. And after doing that talk, I had men who were what I would say were the most detached in that group. And they came up to me. Like, their faces I recognized. And they were like, you described my life right now because i talked about how hmm. we're asking our so this book hold on to your kids which i already talked about we're asking our peers to give us our identity and to shape us into being men and women but they don't know what the hell that means so we're just making crap up as we go along so mm -hmm. no wonder we're a more progressive society and less conservative because because young people don't care about the past they only care about the present and the future and so like there's all these cultural things that are kind of tied to it but one of the things that we lose is the idea of what it means to be a man and um, and what it means to assume responsibility and the gradations of assuming more and more responsibility as time goes on. And uh, you see this on the farm. Like, you don't give a kid a plow and a bunch of horses and say, go out and farm, boy, if he's two, right? You build it up. He has to do these age-appropriate things. Most of the time Unless he's, he's going to ride a dragon. Unless he's going to ride a dragon. Other than that, other than the dragon riding, Luke, uh, <laughs> the boy is schooled in a lot of stuff by his mom. And then his dad intervenes. And then he's raised by his dad to do the dad tasks. And so there's this transition where the boy becomes a man. So after I give this talk, I mean, these guys come up to me. I mean, like, Luke, I can't tell you, like, at that Belmont Abbey, like, I have them for 45 minutes. I only talk for like 40. I rarely ever go short, but I was like, I feel like I'm like pulling out everything I can and I'm just getting nothing. And, uh, and so I just start like talking to them, like, listen, this is, I don't know what it means to be a man, but I do know that I need real men to form me in that. And I can't ask brothers to be men and mentors to me. They can support me and encourage that. But if all mm. they are, are my peers, they can't give what they don't have. I, and I said, so here's the last thing I'm going to say. Find three men in your life. Your dad should be one of them, but he's not in your life that I'm sorry, but you need other men. Find at least three and actively tell them, I need you to help me to be a man. And if you do have a dad, walk up to him, apologize for your goofy crap, and then ask him, dad, what does it mean to be a man? How did you know what it meant to be a man? What is, you know, I was like, have these awkward, hard conversations because we're not getting anywhere as a culture. We're just becoming more violent, more delinquent, more checked out, more broken, more porn obsessed. So I'm like having all these thoughts. And when the, and I thought the talk died, I had four adult chaperones come up to me and say, 
that was the most important talk that they've heard in a long time. And then one guy said to me, I have a book I want you to give you. It's literally word for word what you said. And he walked up and he got this book called Leaving Boyhood Behind. And he handed it to me. And I realized I had met the author before. He's the co-founder of Fraternus, Jason Craig. I met him at my church the day Harvey made landfall. Um, oh, yeah. I remember. I think I remember right. you kind of we, saying something Yeah, about we that. had this men's event that I was pissed that was still going on. I tried to cancel it like three times. Oh, I was so frustrated. But I ended up having this long conversation with this guy, Jason, that I totally forgot about until I was reading this book. Now, he's a farmer. I think he's St. Joseph's Farm or something. And, you know, as, as you know, I, I like get I read a book and then I become obsessed with whatever that book says. What? Um, me? No. But it's because I'm seeing these connections. Like, I'm trying to raise girls and boys to become men and women. Like, I don't want them to be – my goal is not good boys and girls. My goal is good adults, right? And so I know that mm-hmm. I, it takes time and investment, and I'm leaving all the time. I'm leaving all the time. And so I'm like, how can I shape them? And so the woodworking – we're going to do some gardening. But the idea is, like, I, I need to do something to intervene in their lives and bring them along with me. And um, I'm reading this book, uh, coming back from Belmont Abbey, and it is kicking me in the teeth. It's kind of wild at hardish in the sense that it's like there's a problem with masculinity today. Let's look back at the past at how boys became men and say, like, well, there's something there that we're missing. And the kind of the main point that the guy makes is what's missing is the fu- the difference between men and women is women have their periods and pregnancy that they are so identified with motherhood. But fatherhood is a giving thing. It's not a receptive thing. And in thinking about this, he's like a man could put here's the line from uh, Boys to Men that Lawrence Fishburne says to a young Cuba Gooding Jr. when he tells him he might have gotten a girl pregnant. Any fool with a dick can make a baby, but only a real man can raise his children. And that line I heard when my dad was in California and I was being raised by my mom, and I love my mom and I love my dad, but that was a hard time for me. And I felt like I was never able to talk about how hard it was for me because it's like, but your father is sacrificing so much to keep the family here in Oklahoma so he, you know, and, and take the job out there. And I'm like, but I need a dad. Like, I need, like, what the hell does it mean yeah. to be a man to raise a child? Like, Lawrence yeah. Fishburne gets it. <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. should get it, you know. But the idea, so I'm talking a lot, but the idea yeah. is so I had to do these this four talks. I had to do these four talks. And it's just like some of this stuff is, and I started Exodus 90. And the reason why I did Exodus 90 is now tell me if you've ever felt this way. Luke, have you ever put on an event, an event that you hate that you have to run, um, where you feel detached from the event? Like, let's say there's an event with a mass. Did you ever run one of those events? Like, a, mm-hmm. yep. okay. Every month. Okay. Sometimes, now I said this to my buddy, and he said, I call that usher syndrome. You ever see the ushers where because they're ushers and they have a role or a job at mass, they're not really involved in the mass. They're kind of hanging out in the back and talking. Yeah. Yep. And they're, okay. Yep. So, I, you know, and for speakers, it's like the green room effect, but it's not really the green. The green room effect is like, I'm, I'm, I'm my ministry consists of giving a talk not spending time with the people, so I'm going to go hide in the green room. I call it the backstage effect, where it's this notion of, like, because I'm doing the the behind-the-scenes stuff, I don't really need to be a part of the the in-front-of-the-scenes stuff. And a lot of times I notice, like, when I do these Superville Youth Conferences, how detached I feel when I'm at Mass. Like, I'm putting this on for you people. This is not for me. 
And it's like, no, it is for me. And so Exodus 90 was one of those things. Well, I've, I've had a couple friends who have done it and, you know, they cheated, they ended early, they didn't follow the rules. And I had a bunch of men who are, uh, two of them are friends of mine, but I'm not super close with these guys. And so I just thought, you know what? Like, not only am I going to do this, but I'm going to adhere to it as fanatically as possible. And part of it is, right, so you fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. You, um, what else? You, you don't eat between meals. Um, it's all the things that I should already be doing, but don't. <laughs> um, but it, it, just yeah. the fact that I now have a group of guys that you're your little fraternity that you talk to, and I have these prayer rituals that I'm doing, like, I mean, and, and again, this is the beginning stages. I can do anything for four days. But I I love it that it, all of these things are kind of coming together at once where it's like, okay, you say you're a man. Here's the challenge. And it's that challenge that I, I, I love. Um, so the final quote from the book, Leaving Boyhood Behind, that I totally went sidetracked off. He said, uh, being a woman is tied to their fertility and all this stuff. Now, obviously, women, I'm not saying all you are is a mother. But this understanding of what it means for up till up till contraception in the 1950s, being a woman meant becoming the type of person who's able to be a mother. And being a man meant becoming the type of man who's able to be a father. That the the culmination was motherhood and fatherhood, whether that was physical or spiritual or moral or emotional or whatever. That was it. Like you had to sustain your own life. You like had to be you a could do person. it if you, if if it were to happen. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like. You have women yeah. who are spinsters, but they could be women who are capable of raising children. They just never got married. You have nuns and monks and priests and religious and single people, and they could have done it, right? But they, you know, their their fatherhood and motherhood is expressed in different ways. But today, because we have this youth obsessed culture, there's a flight from okay, okay, number one, the critique of patriarchy. There's a hatred of fathers. Number two, because of the rise of contraception and abortion. There is a hatred of motherhood as defining a woman, right? So a woman is no longer defined by her uterus. She's defined by her vagina, right? Like I, one woman defined the modern feminism. And, you know, again, we're speaking broad brushes. Is it in everyone? But the, the woman who um, loves her cervix but hates her uterus kind of thing or loves her vagina but hates her uterus. And you see this in, in this, like, pro-abortion, pro-vagina monologues, like all of this stuff. And it just fascinates me how we don't see this as a rebellion against becoming an adult. Like, across the board, sex without consequences. What are the consequences? A human being that you have to love? Like, this is the stuff that's killing me. And the guy made the killer comment, for a woman, it's so tied to nature, but for a man, fatherhood is always a choice. Hmm. And to choose to be a father, because Lawrence Fishburne, any fool with a dick can make a baby. But it takes a man to raise a, 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 a child or raise a boy, I think he said. That idea of, like, I'm choosing to stay. I can literally love you and leave you. I'm a heartbreaker, right? That, that, that song, The Wanderer, right? It was written in the 50s, so it sounds like an upbeat song. But the guy that wrote it, it's like, no, this is meant to be a depressing song where he talks about the tattoos and it's all the different women. And when I rip up my shirt, I got Susie on my chest or what? Yeah, I'm the wanderer. I get around, around, around. It's meant to be a sad song. Like, it's depressing. Because he's like, I have nothing. I am nothing. All I have are the names of women that I've slept with. And maybe I have children out there. Who knows? But for men, if you view fatherhood as the ideal, spiritual, moral, whatever, 
then it's a choice. And men are choosing not to do that. I think it's manifested like in Hollywood in weird ways by all these like demonic movies where the antagonist is a child. I, th- I, I genuinely think there is a terrifying, there's a fear that have gripped men and women of like having children and Hollywood's capitalizing on it. One of my favorite remarks is from the comedian Margaret Cho. She said, babies scare me more than anything. Uh, when I read that, I, I thought of the number of um, horror movies today that have a child as the focus of, of fear. You ever notice that? that? A lot of movies, what's really frightening is a child. Well, Margaret Cho kind of admitted that. I mean, babies, children scare me more than anything else. I think it's found in the use of the phrase adulting. Like, we use it jokingly, but there are a lot of people who it's like, oh, my God, that was exhausting. I, you know, did my taxes. Which, as someone who just filed his 2017 taxes, I understand it's exhausting. 2017, not even 2018. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Do, do you think there's something that, so for, like, a lot of us, so... Uh, hmm. Mom, this might get kind of emotional, so feel free to skip over this. No, like, <laughs> I know my dad really, really loved me. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, I don't ever doubt that. There's so many things that I'm, like, grateful to my dad for. I think my dad probably had the hardest time raising me when I hit adult, like, adolescence. Um, I can remember when I was in junior high... Uh, uh, my dad being very angry with me. And he was just like, what do you have to be upset about? I had a rough childhood. You don't have any of the stuff that I had to deal with. Why are you so upset? And I remember just kind of being like, what are you talking like? And then in like, and I thought about that a lot. Yeah. And in hindsight, I think my dad, I was just, I was just being an adolescent, you know, just a hormonal, you know, rebellious teen because that's what teenagers are and you kind of have to go through that and i'm not saying you should tolerate crappy behavior but um we should never be surprised by it and there's this part of me that was always just like i don't think he ever really got that i was just a teenager Mm. i don't think he i think for for whatever um reason he thought because i didn't have the bad childhood that he had or that he told me about that i had no reason to be upset with the world or life Gotcha. And I think a lot of my adolescence uh, lacked my dad. Um, he showed me how to love, but, like, he never really taught me how to do anything. You know, like, um, he tried to show me how to do a, a checkbook. I, I know how to balance the checkbook, but that was kind of it. And, and and there's a lot of qualifiers for this. Like my dad was um, a disabled, so and he wasn't, you know, he had chronic pain. So there's this, you know, there are these elements too of. Yeah, for those uh, of you who don't just, know, his Luke's dad. When I met him, you know, he was in a was it a big recliner that he had? Yeah, and that's at, what he like had to sit in a lot. Yeah, and he had like a tackle box of all the medicines and stuff. It was like yeah. I just remember this little bit next to him. And he made some, he was always joking, right? And he made some yeah. funny comment about like, all right, I got to start. Like, I, I guess he had to give himself shots 
Yeah. And he yeah. was like, here, here goes the routine. You guys probably want to, you have my permission to go downstairs. You don't have to watch me do this. Um, and it was just this whole host of stuff. So the speaking to the disability that he had to go through. Yeah. And so, and there's like, I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on like what that does to a person having to be, to be raised with that. And then there's some really good things about it. Like there's a lot of, um, I think it's where my compassion comes from. I mean, and my mom, I think that, that was modeled through my mom, but having to live through that, you know, I mean, I can remember having to like drive my dad to the hospital because it was so over, like o- overwhelming and having to help him like walk inside. because He could barely move. Yeah. And so there, but there was this element of, you know, I've never, I never went to a sports game with my dad. I never went to the movies with my dad. We never really talked about, I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff, but like yeah. the stuff. And so, the things that I so I, I guess what I'm getting at is like when you kind of grow up and some of those things that should happen don't happen, um, and then you're in your 30s. This is what I struggle with sometimes. Is like, is it too late for me? Those things, and maybe I should have learned as a kid. Is it too late for that? You know, because it's definitely, and again, I don't like necessarily like blame my dad. I did for the longest time, right? Right. Um, you know, and um, I mean, we, I mean, when he died, we really weren't on like the best of terms. I mean, we were okay, but I think it's where a lot of my like resentment came from because it just was like, I mean, and there were sorry, I feel like I'm like crapping on my dad. There were times when he was really helpful and, and like and just like awesome, but in terms of that, um. I think it was also an issue of like the grass being greener on the other side kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, well, okay. Let me, let me say this and tell me what you think. Like evolution and all human behavior for the last 10,000 years up until the industrial revolution, modernization, city life, urbanization, all the modern stuff that's taking place, basically civil war and after or after the civil war in America, all of human life, whether you're talking about in the rice paddies of Asia, on the plains of Europe, in the in the steppe of, you know, Mongolia, down in, you know, Aboriginal Australia, the Native Americans in America, and all this, we all followed a very similar pattern of life, which was, number one, the vast majority of the human race was agrarian, and number two, we did it as a series of extended families. Right. So the family was not mom, dad, brother, sister. The family was aunts, uncles, grandparents, many of whom lived in the same home or right next door to each other. And so the idea of the, and this is the thing I was going to say, like, you can see a lot of good coming from your dad and your dad was a good man. And then, but then like, and I would say the exact same thing about my dad. And then there's this, like, in the back of my mind, there's like, but... I don't feel like he kind of did the thing where he takes me by the hand and walks me into manhood. Like, this is what you need in order to survive. Like, where was that? And I think that exists because culturally that existed and evolutionarily that existed. Well, evolution, you know, for, you know, tens and tens of thousands of years. But for us as a culture, the last 10,000 years, that's all we did. Fathers taught sons how to take over father's responsibilities. Mothers taught daughters how to take over the mother's responsibilities because the goal was by the time you hit 13, you are a fully contributing member of the family. 
Now, you weren't as physically strong as you would be in your 20s or 30s or, you know, teenager years. But you were doing the work of the farm, you know, of the rice paddy, of the of the mill like that. But th- that's the and thing. what's really interesting about that, too. So I just want to add something really quick is we have this yeah, thing yeah. in our modern culture of like at 18 year. And this is this is not the case really anymore. But do you remember when right. like a lot of uh, when a lot of millennials first started to move back home because the economy yeah. was was crap and there was this big like what's happening? Why are these people yeah, the boomer backlash? Back yeah. yeah, yeah. And there was some of it w- was valid. Like I want to give yeah. um, the boomers credit where credit's too. Like there's like part of that was very very valid um but there was this other element and and i remember again to bring up the the art of millionaires they had a whole article about how well traditionally some people have like gone in and out of their home till they were 30 yeah you know and now it was again expected that you go home and you are contributing you are working on the farm i mean truman did that he worked on the family farm for like a i mean he really didn't kind of like go out on his own till his I think it was his early thirties when he joined the first world war. And that's where he kind of like, you know, found that was probably one of the most impactful events on his life. It really like steered the course of his life. But after that, he went home and then worked on the family farm. Yeah. And so you, you constantly had people going home and you had other siblings there who would, who I would imagine you were, you know, helping raise even by your example, because of the contributions to, yeah, the family this, you know, this is more agricultural but yeah you get what i'm saying yeah but and then you go to cc and in a cc right you see the men who lived urban lives their shops were downstairs their homes were upstairs the, it was only mm-hmm. those in the professions that commuted far distances for the most part i mean peddlers and there were other professions but you well, you were all remember there. like urs urs like his bar like he lived above his bar yeah yeah and he would also kiss you on the mouth if he gave you certain types of food. He would say, he "Sure did." <laughs> oh, still my Dio friend. <laughs> love that man. God bless him. I love that man. And one day he escorted me by the hand into manhood as he walked me up those stairs to his apartment. Um, but they also, you know, like you look. That was weird. I don't know why I said that. Um, they also like you start. So you step back and you start to look at this. And then this one feminist thinker was talking about how. We've disrupted women and their maturity. Feminists have to stop blaming men for their own unhappiness. The, the unhappiness is due, I believe, to huge systemic changes that, that, that women, for, for, you know, for thousands of years, women had their own world. There was the world of women and there was the world of men. And, the, and the, the sexes didn't have that much to do with each other, okay? This is a brand new experiment to have this new system where now women can be uh, economically independent now. They're no longer dependent on a father or husband or brother, okay, for their sustenance, right? But, and they're working side by side with men in the workplace, right? This is an experiment. It's never happened before, right? And she said, but you have to understand the, the toll it takes on us as a society. When, when you had families having dinner, the men and the women separated. The children played. The little children played. But then natural gravity brought the boys to the men and the girls to the women. And they, lear- they learned by listening. They talked with adults and with each other. And they listened to how adults talk to each other. And that's how women were escorted, where girls were escorted into the feminine world 
And she said, and now what have we done? We don't prepare meals where the women are doing one thing and the men are doing the other thing. She said, instead, the men go out in the garage and smoke cigarettes and the women, you know, if there is a feast, right, it's like a potluck or, you know, people microwave food or oven cook already made food. You know what I mean? Like there's no Mm -hmm. preparation. It used to take like two days to make a feast meal. And so there was a lot of time where you're knuckle to knuckle working food together. And I just keep thinking of this stuff and I'm like, we don't have those opportunities. Like, I want those opportunities with my kids. But instead, I'm getting on a damn plane, and I'm flying to the other side of the country. Now, I have to. I have to. My family cannot exist as is. And there are a few things that we could put. I pay a very low mortgage rate. So if I were to sell, I've been looking at new homes. If I were to get a new home with a bigger backyard, I, I would have to, you know, lose all the equity I have in my current home. And I would have a higher mortgage. Why do I want to do that to myself? Because then I have to work more. And then I have to be gone more. Then I have to have awkward conversations with churches. Can you pay me more money? Because I don't want to be gone all the time. Like, Sorry, I can't pay that money. All right, well, I'll take it for this, these pennies over here. And, you know, like we constantly have these things. And I'm looking around. And I'm like, I know I'm missing it. It keeps eluding me. And it's pissing me off because now I'm a dad. And I'm still trying to figure out what the hell it means to be a man. And I'm a dad now. And I'm like, shit, we used to have this in lockstep. So Cardinal Seurat, right? You know, everyone's favorite African cardinal, Cardinal Seurat. In his book, this, this book, Leaving Boyhood Behind, this book gets, quotes his book, uh, God or Nothing. And he talks about being an African tribesman and the tribal rituals of his, of his home tribe. What they do at the age of 12, they bring a boy into the forest. All the men let the, uh, the women mourn and the boy goes into the forest. And the men strip the boy naked, and then they circumcise him. Ooh. Right? 12 years old, circumcised. And if you cry, it's all over. So you can't cry as a boy. And they physically circumcise you, chop off your foreskin with a knife, no anesthesia or anything like that. And then then they begin a two-year initiation ritual where the men teach the boys the traditions of the culture, the way of the tribe, the values of the tribe, respect for elders, especially the elders of the tribe. And then at the end of the two years, um, the the mothers essentially, uh, the the fathers come out of the forest. You like spend maybe like you spend a couple nights in the forest. You come out, and then the 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 story is the the spirit met you in the woods. This is like demon spirit or whatever, and ate the boy and killed the boy. And now all that's left is this man. And so the mothers have to treat from that day on, the mothers have to treat their baby boy as a man with all the rights, responsibilities and duties and expectations of a man. And he goes to talk about this. And then he says, and this is terrible. And he gives this pivot that was awesome because it's animalist, right? They're not Christian. You know, he kind of looks at these things, but he says it was domination through fear. Like you were just afraid the whole time. And we weren't really passing on culture we were passing on fear of getting out of lockstep with the elders. And so he, and he talks about kind of explaining this stuff, that there was this tyranny of fear in it. And I was like, wow, that is very interesting. So it wasn't an ennobling right within this tribe because of original sin and the fall and, you know, whatever, that the ennobling aspects were kind of bound up with these ignoble things, these, these terrible things, these fearful things. Instead of, yay, I get to be a man, it's like, you better not mess up now that you're a man. 
And um, do you know? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. You go. You go. Do you know what I think? To kind of to get back to like the to yeah. piggyback off of that and attempt to answer like the, the question from earlier is like, what do you do when you're in your 30s and feel like maybe you didn't yeah. get what you circumcise yourself? You know, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> so many jokes. Um, you go to CatholicMatch.com uh, we'll just... and start a profile today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'll just become varies. Um, uh, but, 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 so I think a lot of times within, in the church, the answer is, oh, we just need to have like men Bible studies where we will t- where we will talk about manly stuff. And I don't think that's really the answer. Like, do you know what I miss the most about when we were younger? Drinking. It's not that we could go to any, yeah, a whole lot of drinking. Um, it's not that we could go to any movie that we wanted to at any point in time is that we were doing that together. Yeah. And I miss that a lot is, and uh, I think one thing we might need to do to kind of reclaim this in order to like, cause like really what we need is the witness of other guys. And I think we just need to hang out more, you know, like I think we just need to do more things as men yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't always have to be this like, let's go kill a bear. I think it can be as simple as we're going to go watch this game together or we're going to go and or we're going to do things together. And then to bring your son to that, like, you know, because think about how cool it was to like be with your dad and your and like your dad's friends. Yeah. Oh, you know, awesome. and you're just, um, you're and just my, and that the, for me was the Knights of Columbus Hall. I remember sitting at the Knights of Columbus Hall with my dad yeah. watching the Eagles play. Monday night football and be like, yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, those are some of my favorite memories. Absolutely. James, James and sales is a dick. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I've been, I've actually had this on my mind. Like, I wonder if we all maybe should join the Knights of Columbus. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm a nice, should, I'm a third degree. Maybe, maybe we should, but like, you know, are like, you're not active though. No, I went to one meeting and was so horrified, but I still get the emails. But like, I mean, so how many. cool would it be? Because so, like, Aaron for her job had to go to the veterans of uh, the V, the yeah. um, local VFW, the veterans of, of foreign wars, and they have like their own bartender there. I'm like, how cool would it be to be able to go to a place where like you're in this thing and you have a, you know, you have a bunch of beers on tap, so you just go with your friends and just, and it's not a bar, so it's not like yeah. there's not, um, you know, like weird um women there and people trying to like hit on each other and like old people who haven't gotten married trying to go like you know go and get it on the bathroom um it's just a bar <laughs> I for love, dudes to go i love and the idea out. of the bars that you go to with that description go on oh, you've, <laughs> yeah oh my gosh so it's just, i've got some stories um uh where am i going with this but like you know just it's more about doing things together and doing what you like together i don't think you need to do it all the time to where you abandoned your family that's that's not what i'm getting at but this idea of um you know at least once a week i'm spending time with you know or perhaps once every two weeks or even on once a month i've got a place where i can go to be around these other men to you know i need to be around the the 60 year old men i need to be around the 70 year old men and they need to be around me you know and like we need that camaraderie together yeah, and I mean, I 100% agree. And I think the glorious thing is you, you're you not neglecting your family. Eventually, you're going to bring your boys into it. And then 
other types of events, your girls are going to be a part of it. And you know what I mean? Like, this isn't a, well, I need to go and just be with the guys. Because here's the deal. Guys need to be with guys. They really, yeah. really do. I listened to this one talk that pissed me off so much, and you just reminded me of it. It was a dude at uh, one of the mega churches in in uh, Austin, I think, Austin Stone maybe, and he gave a talk on why small groups don't work. And it pissed me off because I was trying to build small groups. So I keep typing in, like, small group ministry, small groups in church, and his video was, like, the number one. So finally I watched it, and the guy said, here's the deal about small groups. Like, we talk about in church there are rows and you stare forward. And then it, but in small groups, there's circles and you look at each other. That's why it's harder to back out of a small group is because you're kind of forsaking the community and we notice when you're gone, where you can be anonymous if you're staring forward, you know, at a church. He said, but that's not how men do things. Men don't like sitting in circles and talking. Men like sitting in circles and barbecuing something. You know, if there's a fire in the middle, he said, men always define themselves by physical movement and doing something, going to something, saying something. And this idea of just talking about what we believe and just talk. Now, debating can be a thing or arguing or discussing things can have that action, you know, thing to it. But, um, I, you know, I think there's something to it. And I, I remember like today when I was doing the retreat, I said, I'm giving four talks. I'm sitting boys down in chairs and giving them talks. It's not enough. And uh, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not what men need always. But at the same time, I found out, I was talking with this dude. I think his name is Fitz. He is in charge of their retreat ministry. That's one of the main areas. And he says they do like 24 retreats a year. And I was like, whoa, that's a lot. They offer some like four times a year. If you can't make the one, you get to make the others. But the other thing he does is he was in charge. They do like brotherhood retreats i'm doing the theological one and i was like oh i feel a lot better about that okay like they're physical and they had physical movement planned and i had them do different things but um like so they had all these different stations before i ever sat them down and talked and they had free time and fun lunch and like all this stuff so there was plenty of movement that was throughout but i was like how can i change this like what is it that we need to do and i i don't know if it's just go and entertain you know like let's go watch the game at the bar I think there might be something dangerous there because it is a leaving. I, I would see men getting together in the home or doing something or, or, or accomplishing something, working with other men. Like I, uh, I just showed the plans to build a mobile workbench to one of my coworkers. And I said, what do you think about it? And he looked at it and he goes, what's this? And I said, I want to come. I want you to buy the supplies. I will bring my tools. Let's build a mobile workbench together. And he's like, 100%, yes, we're going to do that. Like, that's something that, like, then there's something in the world that's different, right? Like, mm -hmm. I made a thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't just consume a thing. I made a thing. So I wonder what that would look like. I really do. I wonder, I, my wife and I, we both believe that as adults, she needs grown-up women time. I need grown-up men time. And we both need times where those overlap. And we need times where it's all kids and all that stuff. So I'm in Exodus 90 with mostly people that I don't know, and I, I'm doing that for this purpose. You know, I was kind of tagged on, nice. and I'm like, well, here's a thing I can do, 
and I'm physically doing something. I'm spiritually doing something and I'm talking about it. So I'm hitting all those points, but yeah. Yeah. I am. One thing that I did kind of just not by accident, but it wasn't necessarily. Well, no, I, I think in the back of my mind, it was, um, I just got a bunch of dudes together to watch two of the, of the U S men's team games. And it was amazing. Nice. And it was just really cool for like, you know, like two nights and like one week we all got together. Did, did we do it twice or did we just do it once? I feel like we did it twice. Anyways, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, it was just really nice. And it was kind of like, this is cool. This is just fun to like get some Catholic guys together. And it's not attached to any sort of like, it didn't have like a spiritual element. I mean, it did because we were Catholic. So of course that stuff came up, but like, it wasn't like solely built around. Let's share our feelings. It was like, let's watch a game and just talk and drink beer and hang out. It yeah, was a because blast. Th- that it, there's so much of a, a female paradigm, like, I mean, studies show the educational model today is built around a paradigm that little girls acquiesce to very quickly and little boys do not. So like one of the this other book that I heard, so I I went on the art of manliness and I downloaded like 30 podcasts that were on different stuff about boys and men and manhood and masculinity, not just like art of manliness has a lot of like, this is how you lift weights. This is how you mow the lawn. This is how you and those are all great. And I think they're very, very good stuff. But the other thing is, um, like, I want to hit some of these, like, social science research stuff, scientific, you know, brain scans and neurobiology. And there's this doctor who wrote a book called Saving Our Son. So I have this book. He built an educational institute because he said we are destroying in this myth that the girl is being left behind. And he rails against it. He said it's the it's the biggest myth in our culture that patriarchy is a lie. And he's like, uh, and this guy is a liberal. Like he is, he's a liberal. He said that the, what he calls the dominance theory is a total lie that men dominate women. And they're, uh, unless women fight back and all this stuff that they're not given any proper respect. And he says, there's elements that still exist in the patriarchy. He's like, the patriarchy died in the fifties and sixties. Like truly like women are more employed, better employed. They, um, they do better in college. There are way more women than men in college. In fact, every major marker of success, women outrank men in it. And every major marker of failure, boys outrank women in it. So, like, getting kicked out of school, getting detentions, getting suspensions, um, getting expelled, uh, dying from violence as a teenager, all of those markers, every single one of them, men boys outpace women in all the negatives they're worse off and in all the positives they're way less and so you have this whole thing that's like built up around and his his whole thing he says the educational system the government and media is built up to say like women are so inferior in our culture we have to prop the girl up and a lot of it was that book ophelia rising which basically is about uh or was it resisting ophelia oh crap um but the whole thing was that women have this negative self-image that deeply impacts him emotionally through like the puberty years. So that kicked off in the nineties, this whole hardcore um, funding of government programs and educational programs and initiatives for the girl, right? For the young girl and subsequent studies came out that were essentially did nothing to change the culture, which was actually we found that there is a dip and it's called puberty and most girls make it out alive and totally fine. And their self-esteem goes way through the roof. But that's where the whole self-esteem movement kicked off was around giving self-esteem to little girls. Now it's about just general self-esteem. And we're finding that boys, this guy's research, and he he's quoting like dozens upon dozens of scientific studies done all over the world, World Health Organization. These are not conservative, liberal things. 
And his whole point, his whole narrative is boys are falling behind, but culturally we keep telling ourselves that boys are oppressing girls. Therefore, we won't fund or pay attention to boys. He said, for instance, boys have terrible reading scores. He said, did you know? And this guy's a medical doctor mm. in, his, in his person. He said, did you know that boys process words only with the left side of their brain and women process with both hemispheres? So when you say to a boy, don't hit, use your words, right? I've said that to my kids. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't scream. Don't fight. Use your words. Use your words. A girl can stop. And because she uses wor her wor the, the word formation in her brain is both left and right, she's able to articulate her feelings better. Boys cannot. Like, boys have, like, seven times more brain gray matter activity. Girls, ten times more white matter activity. He's like, we've proven this. There is a difference between men's and women's brains. And they're not substantial, like, they're different creatures. He said there's plenty of overlap, but there's also plenty of differences. And our modern educational system levels it all out and, and only serves the girl. So he said, for instance, if you have little boys in a school who are, have terrible reading scores, he said, one of the easiest things you can do, you don't have to alter your curriculum at all. Let the boys stand up during the lesson uh, or give them a squeeze ball and they can squeeze it during, they can do something physical. Some schools are putting in desks with um, fidget bars, like fidget spinners, but they're little bars oh, that, they yeah. can, that they can push with their legs and their standing desks. And they find that boys' math scores go from D's and F's to A's and B's within six months. Because we're not teaching. Yeah, and so the, his whole thing is like, we're not just not initiating men, boys to be men. He said, we're not even treating the boy. And then we find, like, and he goes through this whole host of things that come out as a consequence of that. And I'm just seeing, like, all of these different, like, so male aggression towards women skyrockets. Male aggression towards uh, other men skyrockets. If he, and he says, like, for instance, if you have a kid, two boys and they start wrestling each other over some argument and you say, don't hit, use your words. He said the actual response is let them fight because they're not going to hurt each other severely unless some kid picks up a block. Then you have to physically intervene. But they're not going to hurt each other severely. He said, and they'll resolve it that way because they don't know how to resolve it any other way than moving their body. And I just think, like, I'm, like, listening to this, so and I'm, like... You think they should actually, like, fight, like, punch each other like, he's and stuff? talking about He's talking about, like, toddlers at this point. When you're, oh, when you're talking about, okay, like, a okay, five-year-old... Okay. Sorry, I jumped around a bunch of age. But when you're, like... like we're not talking about teenage boys, like, use your words. I'm talking about, uh, like, a five-year-old who gets in a fight with another five-year-old at preschool. And he'll say, like... He's not saying, like, put him in a ring and let him fight. But he's saying, like, what they'll do is they'll <laughs> shove each mission. other. <laughs> yeah. They'll sho I mean, Toddler hey, fight! Hey, there was a daycare center that filmed toddlers fighting, and they're all in jail now. They I think literally I remember that. Yeah, they literally had a toddlers like cockfighting, but like punch each other, kick each other, bite each other. How horrible is That's that? That's weird. Yeah, yeah but a, but think about that. It's for like the, a dark this path. whole thing. But um, the, so no, there's all that. those I mean, little things that that we don't understand what we're doing because we don't know what we're undoing. This might not be the same thing, but I remember the first time I really went to counseling in college, she had a little, uh, do you remember those like, um, I don't know what you call it, but like, it was like, it was like, it's like rubber kind of ballish thing, but it had these like um, rubber strings coming out of it and it formed a sphere. Yeah, Whatever. the little push balls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember I, like, if I, if I could like have, uh, so whenever I had to like, 
process stuff, I would like hold it in my hand and like talk. And it was, I just found that very, very comforting to do that. Well, it's because it's a physical thing. That's his whole thing. It's like men learn. I wonder if that was it. Yeah. I mean, like little boys learn things spatially. Mm-hmm. And girls can learn things. I, I can't remember what he said the, to juxtapose. And he said, but if boys learn things spatially, but you make them sit at a desk, they can't learn. And then what do we do? They act out. And then we respond by medication. Or we lower their mm-hmm. grades. Or we give them detention. And he's like, it's literally the exact opposite of what we should be doing. So his whole thing is he just goes to public schools and does trainings. Like there's, he has a center and institute. And they just train on this stuff. And literally, he'll, he'll hold this event, and this one woman, she's an African-American woman, she's a principal of, of a school, and she's like, I hated everything you were saying, because you're basically telling me that women aren't underprivileged, that boys are. And she said, but while you were talking, I was going to prove you wrong, and I pulled up one of your, one of your reference articles, this Princeton study. And she's like, and I can't believe this. And another woman said, how dare you agree with him? It's girls who are suffering. Are you in a team up with the patriarchy? And she said, just read the article. And so the whole conference stopped as everyone pulled out their iPads and cell phones and read the article. And then they were like, holy crap. We had no idea. It was like markers, like white and black students, white and black males are, are all on the decline. And so this woman was like, I Mm. have taught, like, think about this. Like you, this is, this is the stuff that's unbaked in my mind, but I feel like sharing it just because this is a hot take. So I shouldn't probably say it, but I'm gonna, um, this woman, uh, this principal doctor, I can't remember her name, doctor something. She was just mentioned once, but, um, she was saying, she said, there is an increasing act of violence between black boys and white boys at my school. She said, and I think it's because we as a culture keep saying white men are the problem, right? Now, this is why I no longer follow Sergio on Twitter. Sergio used to make comments that I was like, yeah, I agree with. There, there's elements where white people dominate the conversation, you know, all this stuff. But now he's like saying like what I personally feel like is really ugly racial stuff. Like it's disgusting, and I'm now being I'm I'm now fully like I am borderline anti woke, right? Like I will totally agree that there's instances of racism and the way it gets caught up in prejudice and all this stuff. But you begin to see like it's okay to be racist if you're a white male or sexist if you're a male. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like we're embodying reverse hatred and we call that the cure. That's the lie. And so this woman stood up and was like, here's the deal. I think one of the problems why the escalation of violence in my school might between white and black males is because of me because we keep telling them about white privilege and white male privilege and it turns out looking at this princeton study white males are on the fastest decline of mental health physical health fiscal health in every stage of life it's not that black people are catching up it's that white people are plummeting white people are killing themselves white you know all this stuff And she said, and I feel like I have set that up. Like, I'm telling my black male students, listen, at least you're not white. You're not going to get harassed by the cops. They have privilege. They have their own private laws and their own private society. And so the black people, she said, she feels like she's causing these men to resent. Like, it's a hopeless situation because of you white men, and I hate you, and you're 12 years old, and we're both in the same eighth grade class, and I'm going to kick your ass. And she said, there's an explosion of racial violence. She said, 10 years ago, they didn't have this problem. 
And I'm like, mm. holy shit, like, what is happening? Like, th this is, like, reverberating down from Twitter uh, adult conversations and, you know, all this stuff in politics reverberating down to middle schoolers who don't pay attention to most of that stuff, but they're taking in the rhetoric of this. I'm like, maybe there's a lot more here that we're, that we're really missing. Hmm. Food for thought, man. Food man. for thought. Okay, I'm going to say this one thing. Luke, happy Good Friday, buddy. Happy Good Friday, my friend. We're recording hey, this on uh, Wednesday night. We're moving into Holy Thursday, Good Friday. This will probably come out on Good Friday. Uh, can we do a quick thing that I want to do for the next six weeks? Yes. Really, really quick. How are we feeling about Game of Thrones? Uh, I don't think there's any Good Friday conversation I want to have other than a Game of Thrones conversation. <laughs> uh, after we'll keep we it to hang... like three minutes. Yeah, I no, I am. Uh, I was really pleased with the opening episode. The creepiness of Bran, I am so happy, has become an instant meme. I love and it. Yeah, him it's in a wheelchair appearing everywhere in the behind-the-scenes photos. So funny. Um, but I love how now it is fully revealed Jon Snow is actually... Aegon Targaryen, and he's the rightful monarch of Westeros. Yeah, I uh, I, I enjoyed that part very much. There is there are certain you know I um I, I'm gonna try to I want to try to veer away from like you know talking about the techne aspect of it. Everyone's like, oh, this is what they pulled off. This is what they didn't pull off. And I'm like, yeah, I get it, but it's just. Um, I think it's very world. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, and I mean, I agree. I was like, oh, it was like, I, I I watched it again. I was like, this part sucks. Um, but like, I heard this one podcast. And they were talking about how you know this interesting, like, this is the battle. But you know, it's kind of like it. It's very interesting that you kind of have the, like this, you know, Stark women advocating for the family because that's such a tally trait. And if you and if yeah. you um and if you look at like a, what the tally like what the like line is. It's I I, th I think it's like family, honor, duty, or it's a uh, family duty honor, and the battle that all the Starks are kind of ha like having with that of like having to like when do you prioritize your on um, a family when do you prioritize like duty and you know like honor and stuff. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what a lot of this is like uh, about what the season's going to be uh, going to be about. Well, don't forget uh, when, that's when how you prioritize first, those things. That's how the first episode or second, yeah, that's how the first episode begins, uh, or the first episode. Of this main thing is Robert Baratheon is coming all the way north to get Ned Stark yeah. to be hand of the king, and his wife says, "He says, honey, how can I refuse my king? It's my duty." And she says, "Duty, you know, she's some line that's like that's the excuse of men to leave their families or whatever, like always duty." And here he goes, and he's going to forsake his family to go south, but he's bringing his family with him, which causes all sorts of problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I thought I, I like where they're going with, um, like, how do you prioritize those things at the end of the world? Yeah, that's a really great line, Luke. John doesn't really think about the consequences of his of his actions. Like John's not a if you think about it, John's not a really good leader. Because he, like, he's good at doing right. He's that's 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 probably a little bit harsh. John doesn't like think through like what are what are going to, what are the consequences of his 
of his actions and how he's that's like his flaw as a leader is I mean he so so he, so he is a really good leader but one of his flaws is that he doesn't think how is this going to impact Sansa how's because like he, I would he doesn't, say that only in regards to the family I disagree with that completely in regards to anything else like and, I think he's playing the long game for the North which is why he works so hard to let the Northerners accept the wildlings he has to bring the wildlings no. down. No, I agree, but he doesn't think about the fact that, like, now they have to feed the, you know, Unsullied and the Dothraki and the dragons. Like, he doesn't think about what are the practical, like, he, like he knows what he's got to do. And, the, for, and like, the big picture stuff, John is really, really good. And he's going to work towards that. And he's going to do everything he can to do the right thing in the big picture, which really has to be done. But where it kind of breaks down for him as are times like like if what if he had spent more time with um the leaders of the night watch convincing them to at the at the very least tolerate the wildlings instead he's like you have to you aren't oh well this isn't you know and he or and like i think and you see it with right now he doesn't think about the you know like can you blame the Night's Watch for not wanting the Wildlings there? No. That's who they fought against the, you know, that so I don't I think he I think he underestimates how much it's going to take to, you know, to really convince them. But then when you like stick with them, you buy in because you see that that he's right. But he I don't think he gives people enough credit. And so like one example is he brings, you know, all of um Daenerys' army to Winterfell and it's why the best thing to come out of uh, Sansa's mouth is uh, how are we going to feed them? We have enough to barely get us through the winter. How are we going to feed everyone here? And John doesn't like, he doesn't think that stuff matters. Yeah. And he, and he's, I mean, that's going to be a major problem where if, if, if you see a guy like Rob, um, I think Rob thought about that stuff for the most, uh, kind of. 